Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Birmingham Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to share some really simple, simple things with you. This is going to be so simple, you're going to have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I'm saying. How many of you came here just needing God to do something in your life? Man, you're hungry for God to move. Well, I'm telling you, you're too late. God moved 2,000 years ago, and He's now seated at the Father's right hand. And he's not going to do anything for you. <laughs> and I know some of you are shocked. But it, see, this is what the book of Ephesians is all about. We are already, everything you want, you've already got. It's not a matter of getting God to do something. And that very attitude that I just tricked many of you into expressing <laughs> is the very attitude that is keeping you sick, poor, defeated, and things like that. You know, I had a woman from Toronto email me two days ago, and this woman, it's a long story, but she was captive in her house, never got out of her house, was totally dominated by fear, and she had a lot of physical things that went along with it, and she heard me on the television up in Canada and got totally set free. And she wrote us, and she had no money because she's never worked, so we scholarshiped her. She became a part of our Bible college in Toronto, and uh, she was doing really good last year. She just emailed me two days ago and she lost her healing and she's back in her house. She's totally fearful and she said she feels so ashamed and so condemned and she didn't know where else to turn and so she contacted me and we had one of our ladies uh, that works for us uh, call her but before she called, I emailed her back and she was just saying, I don't know what I did to lose my healing. And I said, it's impossible to lose a healing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God never takes anything back. There is not a single person who has ever lost a healing. You don't lose a healing. What you do is you change your belief. You were believing that you were healed, but then all the devil has to do is give you a symptom, a feeling, a little pain, and all of a sudden you quit believing that you've been healed and you believe you're sick again and you are waiting on God to move. That's what the problem is. And in a sense, most Christians, are they believe that God can do anything, but they don't believe He has done anything. And so they are waiting on God and begging God and they come to a meeting like this hoping that I can get God to move. He won't move for you, but maybe He will move for me and maybe I'll wave my hand over you and you'll be healed or something like that. And that thinking is the reason that you aren't receiving from God. God has already done everything. And like I said earlier, He is seated at the Father's right hand. That means He's not working He's not upheeling people. People aren't getting saved by Him today. He's already done it. But people are receiving what He's already done 2,000 years ago. Your healing is that way. Your prosperity is that way. Your joy and your peace is that way. God has already done everything. If you aren't absolutely ecstatic and pleased and blessed by the Lord, it's not God's fault, it's yours. 
And some people think this isn't blessing me. <laughs> You're saying it's my fault. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And you know what? To me, that's a blessing. Because if God is, how do you change God? See, this is what the church world is in the process of doing, is trying to get God to do something that he doesn't really want to do. And maybe he won't listen to you, so you call the prayer chain and get a thousand people to pray and put so much pressure on him that we'll force him to do it. And if that won't work, fast and pray. And right as you're about to expire, you're dying of a hunger, whatever, you know, keeps God from being compassionate towards you. Maybe he'll have mercy on you then. That's what most people use fasting and prayer for. I'm telling you, God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. He's already provided everything. You don't need God to do something. What you need to do is change your believing from, oh God, I ask you to do this, to, oh God, thank you for what you've done. And I've got it and it's mine. And now I command this to happen. It's a, this isn't a paradigm shift. This is a pair quarter shift. Amen. This is huge. Amen. So look here in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's jump down to verse 3 because sometimes I've preached over an hour on verses 1 and 2. And in verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. Notice it says, hath blessed us. It didn't say who can bless you. Who is able to bless you? Who is you know, competent to do this? He's almighty and if he's sovereign and if he wills, God might do this. No, he's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. With all spiritual blessings. You know, in the Greek, that word all means all. It means all. What is it that you need? Do you need healing? You already got healing. 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed. Do you need prosperity? We read that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that Jesus became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. It was done on the cross. You're already blessed. He's already commanded this blessing on you. Do you need joy and peace? Are you stressed out? Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit that indwells every born-again believer is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You've already got it. There is nothing you need that God hasn't already supplied. And you know, there's people that sing these songs. And I know I'm going to upset some of you. Give me some slack here. I'm just trying to make my point and get this across. But I know some of you are saying, oh, I'm desperate for you. Oh God, I'm so desperate. Oh God, I can't live without you. That's wrong. That's like somebody saying, I'm desperate to breathe, and they want you to feel pity for them and stuff. I just slap them on the back and say, breathe. <laughs> Man, there's an abundance of air. God has already provided all of the air that you'll ever need. Don't go around talking about how desperate for you. It is true that you will die without air, but it's also true that God's provided all of the air that you'll ever need. Quit begging him for air. Just breathe. Yeah. Amen. If you're talking about how hungry you are for God, just eat. He spread a table before you. Hold your finger here in Ephesians. Believe it or not, I may come back to that. I don't know. But look over here in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, in verse 35, 
And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I was in a church in West Virginia, and I said, how many of you are, they just sung, I'm hungry for you. I'm desperate for you. I can't live without you. And I love that song. I love the tune. I love the part where you are the air I breathe. You, you know, I like that part. But the hungry and I'm desperate for you, I hate that. You know, the word desperate means without hope. You're hopeless. You're depressed. You're discouraged. Why in the world would you be discouraged when this verse says that he that comes to me will never hunger. He will never thirst. So I, they had just sung this song and I said, how many of you are hungry for God? How many of you are desperate? And a pastor led the charge. He stood up, yes! And I said, let's turn over to John chapter six, verse 35. And I read this and I said, he said, you'd never be hungry. You'd never be desperate. Why are you what Jesus said you wouldn't be? And boy, you could have heard a pin drop in that place. And people say, well, it, we don't mean it that way. Well, then why do you use words that mean something contrary to what you're saying? I know some of you aren't liking this, but I'm trying to get my point across that Jesus said, if you come to me, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. It's like a person sitting in front of a, you know, a 10 course meal and they got anything you could ever imagine and they're just talking about, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm hungry. Well, eat. <laughs> Quit telling me how hungry you are. Eat. When a person is sitting there and God, I'm hungry for you. I'm desperate for you. You know what you're doing? You're, you're casting, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but you are insulting God as if God isn't providing you with the proper meal. It would be like a little kid coming in and just saying, I'm so hungry. And we'd say, well, don't your parents feed you? No, I have to come in and I have to fall on the floor and beg and sing this song about I'm so hungry, I'm so desperate. Would you please feed me? You know, if that's the way that a little kid was, I guarantee you, you'd probably call welfare on them. They'd take that kid away from his parents. I'm telling you, here we are talking about, oh, like God is so far away when the scripture says that he's near us. People pray prayers like, oh God, we need a hole cleared in the heaven above Birmingham so that our prayers can get up to you. And people will say things like, that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayer to get above your nose. God lives right here on the inside. That's why you bow your head when you pray. Say, Father, amen. <laughs> this whole thing of I'm desperate, oh God, please come. It shows that you do not believe that God lives on the inside of you. We'll pray prayers like, oh God, go with us as we leave this place. Why would you pray a stupid prayer like that? Why would you ask God, oh God, come and be in this service tonight? I'll go into churches and they'll take me into the back room and they'll say, oh God, anoint this man. We ask the anointing of God to come. And I just sit there and thinking, these people, why in the world would they invite me to come to their church if they don't think I'm anointed? They're... It's five minutes before the service starts and they're begging God to anoint me. Man, that's risky. I wouldn't do that. Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, He that hath anointed us and called us is Christ. We are already called and anointed. 
Instead of begging God for food, oh God, please touch me, oh God, please come and love me. That's an insult to God. I have people come into the prayer lines and they'll say, would you please pray that God would just pour his love out in my life? And I say, no, I won't pray that. I'm not going to insult God when he says that the love of God has already been shed abroad in our heart, that the fruit of the Spirit is already love. If you don't feel love, it's not God who switched it off. It's you that turned it off. It's you that's focused on all of the stuff of this world, but the love of God is flowing towards you. The love of God is in this place tonight. And God is trying to love you. He's trying to open up your heart. God wants to move. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free more than you want to be set free. You're already blessed. Why don't we partake of it? Because we're so busy singing about how hungry we are and asking God to bless us. We don't have time to eat. We're in our prayer closets asking God to pour out His Spirit when the truth is He poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And Paul, Peter said, This promise is unto you and unto your children and unto them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's talking about us. You don't need to pray and ask God for revival as if God is the one that's holding back revival. As if God has a spigot and if He wanted to, He could just pour out His Spirit. And what we got to do is get another million people to pray, another million people to beg God and plead with God. You know, I'm, everything I'm criticizing, I've done. So I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling you, I've, I've been on both sides and this side's better. It's working better. And I'm telling you, I, I found myself praying and one time I, I was walking and hitting the wall and screaming and crying and begging for God to move. And I actually had these words come out of my mouth. I said, God, if you love the people in Arlington, Texas, half as much as I do, we'd have revival. And when I said that, I thought, oops, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this picture. This can't be right. But that's basically what all of the great intercessors are doing is begging God, oh God, please save this person. As if God doesn't want to save them. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He can't do any more to save people than what He's done. It's not up to God whether revival happens. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> I know I'm stepping on a lot of religious toes. But man, it's not up to begging God to move. He's already blessed us. He's already placed His power on the inside of us. If you want revival, go to believing what God said about you. Find out who you are in Christ. Begin to take scriptures like John chapter 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Get out of your prayer closet and go out and lay hands on somebody and see them raised from the dead and you'll have all the revival that you can handle. I promise you. We're asking God to do what He told us to do. He said these signs will follow you. In my name, they will cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, John, Mark chapter 16, 17 and 18. He said, those signs will follow you. We're asking God to oh, pour out your spirit, heal people, set people free, let miracles come. Those miracles only follow you. If you're sitting on your blessed assurance, <laughs> there aren't gonna be any miracles happen because you're in your prayer closet asking God to do what he told you to do. Yeah. 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Well, verse 1 says he gave us power over all sickness, over all disease, over all demons to cast them out. And then in verse 8, he says, Go, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. He told you to do it. He didn't tell you to pray that he would do it. He told you to do it. Some people miss this, but implied in that is the fact that God has given you power and authority. God gave that power and authority to you, and yet most Christians are coming to God. Oh, God, we are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. We are nobodies, but oh, God, you can move. That's an insult to Jesus. You are now the body of Christ. You now have His power. You are His representative on the earth. You have His authority and power. And instead of taking that authority and power, we come before God as, Oh God, I'm nothing. I have people that come to me and say, Oh, I'm just so weak. I'm so... Would you please agree with me? Well, if I agree with you, you're going to die because you don't believe you have any power. You don't believe that you have anything. I'm not going to agree with you. If you come and say, Please pour out the love of God in my life. Man, the spirit of slap wants to come all over me when somebody talks that way. If I was God, I'd just drop kick you off into space, amen? It's a good thing I'm not God. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God loves you. What does it take to get across to you that God loves you? He died for you. And that's not just something, you know, people think, well, yeah, he did that, but, you know, he doesn't love me as much now. He's disappointed with me. That's because religion has come in and taught us the wrong thing and it's condemned us. I can't tell you everything I know all in one night. I'd love to. I could probably stand up here and preach all night, but you wouldn't last all night. But I'm telling you, religion has made us think that God's love for us fluctuates based on your performance, based on how much you pray, how holy you are, how much you tithe, how much all of this kind of stuff, and that is wrong, 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 wrong. God commended His love towards you. The word commended means He gave it and He didn't take it back. He's not an Indian giver. He doesn't take it back. He gave His love towards you in while you were yet a sinner. Christ died for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. And then verse 9, much more now that you've accepted the love of God. Much more now. If you can accept that God loved you enough to die for you while you were a sinner... Much more now. Let me ask you this. How much had you been fasting and praying and being holy before you got saved? Some of you were reprobate. Some of you were just bad. And yet Jesus gave you His love. You accepted that salvation. And it says much more now. But with most people, it's much less now. You'd been out having sexual relationships, drinking, cussing, smoking, doing anything and everything, and you received the greatest miracle of all, salvation. But now that you're a believer, if you don't read your Bible every day, God might let you die of cancer because you didn't do something right. If you don't pay your tithes, if you miss a church service, if you lose your temper, you now are condemned over relatively minor things compared to what it was before you got born again. And yet you received salvation because you believed His love was free. That if you were the chiefest of sinners, that Jesus died for you. 
But then the church comes along, and again, I'm not against the church. I'm for the true church, but I'm saying there's a lot of stuff being said in the name of the Lord that does not line up with the Word of God. But the, but the false church, the religious church, comes along and starts telling you that unless you pray, unless you go to church, unless you pay your tithes, unless you do this, 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 God won't answer your prayer. God's upset with you. God's displeased. And the church has taught people that God's love is conditional and it comes and goes. But God committed it towards us. It's ours. It's already done. He hath already blessed us. It's already done. But notice it says in spiritual, in, uh, how does it say that in Ephesians 1, 3? With spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That's just talking about it. It's in the spiritual realm. It's not your physical body that is blessed. It's not your soul, your mental, emotional, personality part of you that's blessed. But in the spirit, your spirit is brand new. And your spirit is identical to the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that is, that's overwhelming. And functionally, most people don't acknowledge the Spirit them. They don't know who they are in the Spirit. You know, if we were on the phone and I said, you know, I'm going to be at this meeting tonight, and you said, I'm going to come up and I'd like to meet you you could describe who you are. You could tell me if you're a male or a female. You could tell me how old you are. Tell me what color hair you have. You could tell me what clothes you'd be wearing and things like that. You can describe your physical self. You could also describe your emotional personality part. And you say, I'm an extrovert or I'm an introvert. Or you could describe, you know who you are in the physical and in the soulish realm. But if I was to ask most of you to describe who you are in the spirit, the average Christian wouldn't have a clue. And even if you heard and somehow or another could say the right things, functionally you don't focus on who you are in the Spirit. You focus on this flesh. And we think that God is focused on this flesh. But John chapter 4 verse 24 it says, God is a Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. You have to worship God. The only way you're going to connect and get this hunger and thirst satisfied is to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It's in the Spirit that you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Your spirit has been completely transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things. It didn't say all things are becoming new. All things are growing. You start out as a little baby, but you're going to grow and mature. In your spirit, your spirit is right this moment as perfect, as pure, as powerful as it will be a million years from now in eternity. Your spirit is born again. And if somebody says, not mine, if I had it, I'd know it. No, you, you wouldn't. You'd. Jesus said in John chapter 3, He says, that which is spirit is spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That's just a way of saying spirit is spirit, flesh is flesh. You can't discern what's going on in the spirit realm by your feeling. See, we're carnal. We operate in this physical natural realm. We're dominated by what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. 
And most people, that's all that they know. They just function in this carnal realm. But there is a whole spiritual world out there and there is a spiritual you on the inside that most people are ignorant of. Before you get born again, that spirit is a demon spirit. That really blesses most people. <laughs> but you can read this in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we walked according to the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the spirit of in the children of disobedience. Every person, before they get born again, you have the nature of the devil living on the inside of you. That's why Jesus said you have to be born again. You got to get this nature changed. It's not just physical. There's reasons why people do what they do. And there are demonic spirits that we deal with. But when you get born again, you become a brand new person. And now you are the righteousness of God. You have God's spirit, His nature, His love, His power, His joy, His peace. All of these things living on the inside of you. And yet Christians are saying, Oh God, please give me love, joy, and peace. Galatians 5.22 says it's already in your spirit. You've already got it. But Christians will say, but I don't feel it. Well, all that means is you're in the flesh instead of in the spirit. In the spirit, you got it. Most of you, that just went right over your head. What do you mean? You know, right now there's radio signals. There's television signals in this room. And if some of you say, well, that's not true, I don't see them. That doesn't mean that they aren't here just because you can't see them. That just means you aren't real smart. They are in this room. And all you got to do is take a television set and plug it in, turn it on, tune it in. And when you start seeing and hearing the signal is not when the signals come. They're already here, but they're in an unseen realm that you can't perceive with your little peanut brain. You have to take a television set that receives these signals that are physical. They do exist in the physical realm, but they're in an unseen realm. And this machine can take those signals, pick them up, and then rebroadcast them in a way that you can see and hear. But they're already here. If your television set quit working, most of you wouldn't call up the television station right away and say, why did you turn off the signal? The first thing you'd do is look to see if your set was unplugged, if something was wrong with your set. But Christians, instead of looking at them, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not receiving? They just immediately say, God must have quit broadcasting. God isn't loving me. I don't feel joy. I don't feel peace. And they immediately go to bombarding God. Oh God, please turn back on the signal. God never turns the signal off. It's you that quits receiving. It's you that gets turned on and off. It's like speaking in tongues. I tell people all the time, sometimes when I lead people into it, there was a guy last night who got so excited he was getting loud and I was about to slow him down. Not that there's anything was wrong with being loud, but I wanted him to know that you don't have to have this ecstatic, overwhelming thing to pray in tongues. You can whisper in tongues. He needed to know that you didn't have to have this emotional feeling. So I was going to make him stop, but he stopped before I could get to him. But uh, I was going to make him stop and say, stop that. And then when he stopped, I'd say, now, start praying in tongues again. And some people think, can you just turn the Holy Ghost on and off? No. He's on all of the time. But you can turn on and off. Amen. You can start and stop. 
The Holy Spirit will. I could pray in tongues right now, but it's not what the Scripture tells me to do. It's more beneficial to speak in a language that people can understand, but I can pray in tongues right now if I want to. The Holy Spirit's always given me the utterance to communicate with my Father in a language that bypasses my brain. I can do it at any time. It's not me turning the Holy Ghost on and off. He's always on. It's me that's on and off. Likewise, I can have as much joy as I want. If you aren't happy, it's not because God didn't give it to you. You know, the Bible says that whatever you focus your attention on is what you're going to be full of. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you're depressed, it's because you're focused on depressing things. If you're plugged into this world, you're going to be depressed. If you, if you know every show that comes on, if you watch all of the stuff, you're going to be depressed. I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. <laughs> and that's true. The reason I'm not depressed is because I am not paying attention to what's going on in the world, amen. I'm focused on God and what God's doing. But if you just are living in this world, did you know life is depressing? We're all in the process of dying. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old and you're 20 years old, 30. Some of you may think it's so far off. Man, I'll be turning 65 next week or, si or two weeks from now. And uh, you know what? It's gone quickly. Amen. <laughs> Those of you that are young, you're going to be where I am before you know it. And if you just thought about that without thinking about heaven and without thinking about the goodness of God and all of this stuff, you know what? Life is terminal. That's discouraging. But you can focus on what God has said where Paul was so excited about the love of God and so excited about, he said, man, the sufferings of this world aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. And if you get to thinking about it properly, you can be like the Apostle Paul saying, man, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is so much better. Because of your focus you can actually get to where if the doctor tells you you're going to die, it's all you can do to keep from reaching up and hugging him and just kissing him, man, <laughs> saying, that's awesome. I mean, we sing when we all get to heaven. What a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. Something's wrong with this picture. If you were focused on heaven and the goodness of God, man, you wouldn't weep. You know, my mother died in 2009 and she, every time I called her for nine months, she'd say, Andy, are you praying that I'll die? And I'd say, yes, ma'am, I'm praying that you'll die. And before I'd leave, she'd, let me, she'd make me lay hands on her and say, pray that I die. She was 96 and she says, I want to get out of here. <laughs> and she'd pray that she'd die. And some of you think, that's weird. You know what? You're weird. <laughs> that's not weird. That's That's normal. Man, she knew Jesus and she loved Jesus and she was excited to go. And that's what Paul was saying. I have a, de depart, a desire to depart and to be with Christ. That's normal if you're focused on the things of God. But if you're focused on the things of this world, you're going to be depressed. And so if you're depressed and don't feel the love of God, it's wrong for you to say, oh God, start broadcasting your love. Turn on your signal. Oh God, pour out your love. You ought to go by what the Word of God says. In Romans chapter 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. 
and instead of begging God for what He said He's already given you, you ought to just flip the switch and turn on the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues, and edify yourself, and let the love of God just flow through you. If you aren't happy, it's your fault that you aren't happy. You're focused on the wrong things. And somebody said, well, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what's happened to me. If I was to tell you all of my problems, I guarantee you I could have most people feeling sorry for me. Did you know that I need over $15,000 every hour of every day, seven days a week, just to break even? Some of you stay awake with much less needs <laughs> and worry about it. And you know what? I sleep good. And it has been decades since I've ever asked God for a penny. I never ask Him for any money. I don't ask God for money. I don't pray that He'll supply my needs. And yet I've got to have over 15. You know, I think that must be wrong. I need more than that. Anyway, I need $3 million a month. You just divide that by all of the hours in a month. And that's how much I need. And you know what? I don't ever worry about it. And God takes care of me because of my focus. It's what you're focused on. And sadly, most of us are focused on this outer person. And so we have a pain in our body and we say, Oh God, I'm sick. When the Bible says that you're already healed. By His stripes you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 and people see this contradiction and they say, God, you say I'm healed, but I'm sick and I've even got a doctor's report that proves it. <laughs> and they can't understand this. And so it really comes down to what do you believe? Just like I said in the very beginning about this woman who said she lost her healing, I said, it's impossible to lose your healing. You can't lose a healing. You quit believing what got you healed. And if you aren't healed, it's not because God hadn't done something, it's because you hadn't believed. You may be wanting to believe, you may be desiring to believe, but you know, there's things that you have to learn and understand. And, and so you said, but here's my doctor's report. This proves I'm sick. All that proves is that you got something in your body, but the doctors can't tell you what's in your born-again spirit. Only the Word can do that. In your spirit, you've got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm, I'm just going to have to skip some verses. I'll never get down here if I don't. But look in Ephesians chapter 1 and beginning with verse uh, 15. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now let me ask you this. If you were going to pray a prayer for somebody 2,000 years in the future, it's been 2,000 years just about since this was written. If you were going to pray for another group of people, how would you pray for them? What would you pray? I can tell you based on my experience with many, many people that the average Christian would be something like, Oh God, just pour out your spirit. Oh God, sin revival. Oh God, do a new thing. Oh God, touch them. Stretch forth your mighty hand. It would all be about God doing something. You know what Paul's prayer is about? Oh God, show them what you've already done. The whole book of Ephesians is written from a different perspective than what most Christians live. Instead of, oh God, you can do anything. You have done nothing, but we believe that you could do it. Would you stretch forth your hand? 
Man, the book of Ephesians is written about you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings. You've already got all wisdom and all prudence and all knowledge. You already are accepted in the beloved, verse 6. You're already redeemed, verse 7, and on and on. It's praying that you'll get a revelation of what you've already got. So that's what he starts praying right here. And in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. I could preach an hour on that, but it's not like each one of you have a separate calling, although you do, and it is true that God has a specific plan for your life, but you are a partaker of Christ's calling. It's what he was called to. It's him living on the inside of you, and you need to see yourself differently to see the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Notice it didn't say, show them the riches of the glory in heaven. Show them a vision of what heaven is like. Did you know what you have on the inside of you is as great as what's in heaven? If God had to replace what's on the inside of every born-again believer in this room... He would have to bankrupt heaven because you have the glory of God already on the inside of you. And most people think, I don't either. And you know why? Because they go look in the mirror. And all you can see is your physical body. And they search their mind and their emotions and you don't feel it. But I'm telling you, there is a spirit part of you that just like those television signals, you can't see or feel, they're here. Likewise, there is a new you on the inside if you are in Christ Jesus, and you have the same glory that was in Jesus. It's Jesus living on the inside of you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have Jesus living on the inside of you, then you aren't born again. We can remedy that tonight by you opening up your heart and receiving salvation and being born again. But if you are born again, you've got the glory of God on the inside of you, but you can't see it in a mirror. You can't feel it in your emotions. You have to use the Word of God like a mirror. James chapter 1 says this word, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty is like a man that beholds his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. This word is a mirror. When people come up and say, how are you today? You ought to turn over and say, well, let me see. And you, you hold up Ephesians 1, 3. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And they say, well, no, I want to know how you are. You know, I've had my Bible college students come up before and they'll say, and they know that things have happened to me. And I have bad things happen and I've had a lot of stuff happen to me. And they'll come up and they'll say, how are you? And I say, I'm blessed. They'll say, no, I want to know how you really are. And I say, I'm really blessed. Amen. <laughs> It just depends whether you're going to operate on the spirit or the flesh. Are you going to know, like I said, most of you spend lots of time trying to make this body look as good as it can. And there's nothing wrong with that. If your barn needs paint, paint it. Amen. If it needs two coats, give it two coats. Praise God. I'm not against you taking care of yourself. Please do. Please wash yourself. Put on some deodorant. Use some mouthwash. But... Most of us put all of this emphasis on the flesh and you don't know who you are in the spirit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we don't know any man after the flesh. Although we knew Christ after the flesh, we don't know him that way anymore because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Man, would to God that we could know each other and yourself in the Spirit. If you knew who you were, it would... I, man, I wish I had more time. I wish I had better words. But if you knew who you were, it's impossible. It's impossible to be depressed if you knew who you were. It's impossible to be fearful if you knew who you were. If you were functioning on who you are in Christ instead of who this physical body is and what your past experiences have been. You know, I was an introvert. I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. And now I talk to millions and millions of people every day. I couldn't do that. But when I found out who I was in Christ, boom, introvertedness was gone out of me. When I found out that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, I'm not afraid of people anymore. If you're afraid of people, if you, you know, the fear of man brings a snare and if you're worried about, and you have to have people's approval and all of this stuff, I guarantee you, you are not focused on who you are in Christ. You aren't focused on your acceptance in Christ. You only know yourself in the physical, natural realm. You find out who you are in Christ. It says in Proverbs 28, 1, that the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man's without, but the righteous are bold as a lion. If you aren't bold as a lion, you don't focus on your righteousness. You don't know who you are in Christ. If you knew who you if you knew what you had in Christ, I guarantee you you would not be letting the devil run over you and defeat you. You would not be sitting there sucking your thumb asking God to pour out his spirit on you and oh God, would you please touch me? Amen. Good preaching, Andrew. I'm going to have to amen myself. And so in verse 19, he's asking your understanding to be open. And in verse 19, that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to. The word according to means in proportion to or to the degree of the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in, in, at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This is the power that you have on the inside of you, not just the super dupers, not just the, the full-time anointed preachers and stuff. Every born again believer has the same power proportional to the power that was used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That same power that Jesus has is already on the inside of you. It's already on the inside of you. And yet Christians are saying, oh God, just fill me with your power. You can't get any more power. I heard Kenneth Copeland one time talking about that he was begging God, oh God, I need more power, no more power. And God stopped him and said, Kenneth, where am I going to get any more power? I've already given you all power in heaven and earth. Where am I going to get any more power? We don't have a power problem. We got a knowledge problem. You know, I actually gave away a car one time because I tried, every, this was back when I was 18 years old and I had this old Chrysler Saratoga, the one with the fins on it. I called it my Batmobile with the push button drive. And the thing was worn out. 
And I tried everything I could, and that thing would just go, and it would just stop. And I'd, I changed the starter on it, the solenoids. I put a new alternator. I, I never did figure out what was wrong. Finally, I gave it to the janitor at our church. And you know what was wrong? There was a loose connection between the alternator and the battery, and it wasn't recharging the battery. It was a loose wire. And I gave away a car because it had a loose wire. I had a loose wire is what it was. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, you're, there's people that are just ready to throw their Christianity away. Well, I've prayed for healing. I've prayed for joy. I've prayed for blessing. And God hadn't given it. No, God's given you everything you need. You just got a loose wire up here that does not connect and release the power of God. But you've got the power of God on the inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You don't need power. You need knowledge. You need knowledge of what you've got. God has already done His part. You're already healed. You've already got everything. You know, the scripture says, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. When we get to heaven and stand before God, one of the reasons that there's going to be weeping and crying and He's going to have to wipe all tears from our eyes is not because we just barely limp into heaven and we've been beat up so bad, but part of it's going to be when we stand before the Lord and all of a sudden we know all things, even as also we are known, and we realize, you mean I had the same power that raised Christ from the dead? I suffered with arthritis for 30, 40, 50 years. I was sick. I was poor. I put up with all of this and I had all of this power. And man, there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And God's going to have to wipe tears from our eyes when we realize how we let the devil just run smooth over us. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we've already got it. You need to stir yourself up. We don't need to stir God up. We don't need to get another million people praying. We don't need to have 24-hour prayer. We just need one person that would believe God. Just one person that would find out who you are. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, Paul was praying a prayer for his friend Philemon. And he says, I pray that the communication of your faith. The word communicate means the transfer, the release. I'm communicating what God has put on the inside of me. I'm communicating, sharing it with you. If you want your faith to be shared, if you want to see it work, it says, I pray that the communication of your faith would become effectual. That means it would begin to work by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The way your faith begins to work isn't by saying, oh God, give me more faith. You've already got the faith of the Son of God living on the inside of you. You don't need more faith. You can't get more faith. Faith is a fruit of your spirit. You've got faith on the inside of you, but faith is based on knowledge. It says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things. In the Greek, that word all means all all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. If you're sick, you got a knowledge problem. If you're poor, you got a knowledge problem. If you're depressed, you got a knowledge problem. If you're defeated, you got a knowledge problem. If you're introverted, you got a knowledge problem. Everything that you need comes through the knowledge 
of Him that has called you to glory and virtue. And you have to acknowledge what God has already put on the inside of you. You're going to have to get past the image that you see in a mirror. You're going to have to get past your feelings and emotions. And you're going to have to start standing on what the Word of God says. You've been taught to see yourself wrong. You know, I was sharing with the Bible study group at lunch today and and I was sharing this example of, of a friend of mine. He was in Africa. And he held a meeting and he saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open. He saw miracles happen. And so the next day he was walking through the marketplace. And you know, this was in a part of Africa where everybody there was black. He was a white guy and he was walking through the market and everybody recognized him, recognized this was the evangelist and people started coming up and wanting to touch him. And his old religious teaching came up and he, he wanted to say, it's not me, it's not me, it's Jesus. Oh, look to Jesus and don't look to me. And before he could respond, the Lord spoke to him and said, Dave. And he said, what? And he said, what would you think if that little donkey that I rode into Jerusalem and when they put my, you know, their cloaks down and they put palm branches down and they started singing, glory to God, Hosanna in the highest. What would you have thought if that little donkey would have said, it's not me, it's not me, don't praise me. <laughs> Nobody was praising the donkey. They were praising the one that was riding the donkey, amen. And the Lord spoke to him and he says, they aren't out touching you. They see me in you. Let them touch me. And so he just started walking through like this and letting people touch him, amen. But see, most of us are so carnal. We're so focused on ourselves that we sit there and, oh, it's not me. Well, everybody knows it's not you, <laughs> except you. You know, I have people that they get healed of miraculous things and they come up and they say, you healed me, which isn't right. I can't heal a gnat. It was Jesus that healed them. But you know what? If I go, oh, no, no, it's not me. It was Jesus that... You know what? I would be the only one that thought they were praising me. The truth is everybody knows it's not me. It's God on the inside of me. But we become so focused on ourselves. We just think about who we aren't. We, we look at things from such a carnal standpoint. I'm telling you, you need to get spiritually minded. You need to start seeing who you are in Christ. When the doctor tells you you got cancer, you're going to die, you need to sit there and say, that's not right. It's not what the Word says. And greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. How dare you say such a thing to me? You know, I had to go for a physical to get an insurance policy and they put me on this treadmill and I got to telling the doctor and the nurse about my son who had been dead for five hours that we prayed over him and he just sat up in a morgue and started talking. And praise God, we've now, the next year his... He had a little girl. His wife had a little girl and she just turned 12 years old. And I was telling him about all of these miracles and about him being raised from the dead after being stripped naked and in the morgue, in a slab, in a cooler, raised from the dead. And they wanted to shave this hair on my chest and put these things on my chest. And I told him, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. <laughs> I said, how dare you? And so they didn't shave my chest. They just stuck these things to me. And 
And about 11 or 12 minutes into this treadmill test, I got to laboring and sweating and these things started falling off. And so I was holding two of them, the nurse was holding two and the doctor was holding two. And anyway, I finished this test and somewhere around that exact spot, I think it was because these things were falling off of me, uh, he looked at the printout and he started grunting, you know, the way doctors do and mm, oh, and he wrote something down on a piece of paper and he said, this is a friend of mine. I want you to go straight to his office. Don't you go back to the office. You don't do anything. We're going to put you in the hospital and do more tests and we might do bypass surgery on you before the day's over. And it took me just a few seconds to process this and I looked at that guy and I said, that's a lie. And this doctor just looked at me. I guess he wasn't used to people telling him that was a lie. I said, that's a lie. And he says, what do you say? And I said, you look at that piece of paper and tell me that that says I got a serious heart problem. And he says, well, to be truthful, everybody's heart's a little different. You were just off in one spot right here. He says, you could be perfectly healthy, but I think we ought to just do some more checks. And I said, see, you lied. You didn't tell me. You didn't tell me that this might be something. You told me I had a serious heart problem. I said, you lied to me. I said, how dare you sit there and pronounce something. This guy backed up. He tore this piece of paper into shreds. And he says, leave. He says, just get out of here, amen. And, and he flunked me on my test. And I had to go, anyway, it's a long story, but they did another test on me and I got the heart of a 17-year-old. It wasn't a problem. But anyway, did you know most people, you revere the word of a doctor more than you revere the word of God. You revere the word of a banker. You revere the word of the news broadcasters. If they say that we're in a recession and everything's looking bleak, people will go to panicking over things that hadn't even happened yet. Did you know that during the Great Recessions, what it's being called, 2008, 2009 is when God told me to start this $32 million building program. And our normal expenses were $2 million a month and we had to have $32 million above that in three years. And during the Great Recession, God told me to do that. Contrary to all logic, and did you know we increased... 50% and we've got it built and we did it debt free. Yeah. Didn't take out any money. And I tell you, it's because I sat there and I was thinking according to what the word says. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Not riches in the U.S. economy, but riches in glory. Did you know every Christian in here had the exact same promises? And yet I can guarantee you there's many of you in here that have suffered during the Great Recession, not because God turned off the spigot, but because you quit believing. You changed and you believed what you heard the news people say. You believed what you read in the paper. You believed the report that came down from uh, your corporation that they're going to have to be laying people off. We had one guy that they sent out a letter and they said, I forgot the exact statistics, but they were going to lay off 50% of their uh, people in this corporation. And this guy started believing God and standing on the Word of God that my God's going to supply all of my needs. God takes care of me. And anyway, they eliminated his department, wiped out the entire department. 
But because of this guy's confession, they called him in last after they had sent every person in his department home. They called him in last. And he went in there wondering what they were going to say. And they said, we like you so much that we've eliminated this department. But what we did, we are going to put you over a whole other department. And they doubled his salary and gave him a secure place. And some people think that's coincidence. It's just coincidence that the people who believe God happen to be prospered and favored. I'm telling you what, brothers and sisters, there is not a single thing wrong with the person in here that changing your belief system wouldn't cure. Jesus has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. You have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You don't need more power of God. You don't need more faith. You don't need to beg and plead with God or to get 100,000 people to intercede on your behalf. All you got to do is believe what Jesus has already done. Greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. You've already been healed. You're already blessed. And if we would go to believing it and speaking it and acting like it and stir yourself up, I guarantee you, you'd see the power of God flow. Every one of us in here is capable of doing so much more than we're doing. We're living like people that don't know God. We're living like people that haven't passed from death unto life. Man, I go into some churches that are dead. I mean, they're dead. I was in a church that a person died. They called 911 and they came and they carried out half the congregation before they found the dead person. I mean, dead. And yet the Bible says that we have life. Man, there ought to be a difference between us and a dead person. The people that don't know God are dead. They don't have life. And yet many Christians, if you stood them right next to their unsaved neighbor or relative, you couldn't tell the difference. They have the same sickness, the same fears, the same poverty. They respond the same way in a recession. They struggle the same as people that don't know God and don't have promises. They get depressed by the same things that depress other people. If you have terrorist attacks, they're afraid to fly, the same as people that don't know God. There's just no difference. There ought to be a difference between a live and a dead person. But it depends on what you think. And I'm telling you, we don't know who we are. We don't know what God has done. One of the things you can do is take these scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1 and just put your name in there. And say, Father, I'm asking you to open up my eyes. Open up the eyes of Andrew or put your name in there and show me what is your exceeding greatness of your power towards me. Help me to understand. I've prayed that scripture hundreds and hundreds of times and God gave me a revelation of who I am in Christ and showed me in my spirit. I've got a book out there entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body that would just take where I've built it up to tonight and take you from here on into who you are in Christ. And I tell you, it would transform your life. It would change your life if you were to get that. But brothers and sisters, God has already done His part. Jesus said, it is finished. He sat down because there is nothing left to do. It's done. And now the rest of the Christian life is you discovering what is already inside of you. You learning how to unwrap and release and use what has already been given unto you. 
It's not getting God to move. It's not begging and pleading with God and assuming that if you don't see something, it's because God didn't move. No, if you don't see the power of God, it's because you haven't learned how to release what God has done. And so the emphasis ought to be on education and educating yourself to who you are and finding out what you've got. And I tell you, the body of Christ, I'm not saying this to be mean or anything, but I'm just saying the truth. The body of Christ is scripturally illiterate. We don't know the very basics. We're begging God to please feed us. I'm desperate. I'm hungry. When God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings, you'll never be hungry. You'll never thirst again. You got to spread in front of you and you're dying of hunger with just a feast on the inside of us. And I can have compassion on you, but I don't have pity. I don't have pity for people that God has already blessed with everything. And yet we're sitting here languishing and talking about what we don't have and how desperate our need is. It's just because we don't know. What you don't know is killing you. Some people will say ignorance is bliss, but it's not. What you don't know is killing you. You're dying because of what you don't know. And the sad thing is other people around us are dying because we don't know what we should. If you could understand what I'm trying to get across tonight, There's not a person in here that couldn't go out and just see your life totally, totally transformed. See your relationships transformed. See your health transformed. See your finances transformed. God's already done it. It's not up to God whether you prosper. It's up to you whether you believe and begin to receive and understand. And if that's true, then I guarantee you every one of us ought to commit ourselves to God. I am going to find out who I am and what you've done in my life. I'm not going to leave anything on the table. I'm going to take advantage of everything that you've done for me. And yet, sad to say, the average Christian is just sitting there letting the power of God just go to waste on the inside of them as Satan buffets us and this world is just falling apart. And we're begging God to pour out His Spirit when His Spirit is poured out. It's inside of each one of us. And if God is going to get out, He's going to have to get out through us. You are going to have to go touch somebody's life. You're going to have to release the supernatural power of God. Let me go back to a verse that I used earlier. Romans chapter 5, I think it's verse 5. It says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know what? If you have been born again, you need the Holy Spirit to release this. What I'm talking about here tonight comes by revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You have to discern these things that I'm talking about by the Spirit. It's just like those television signals that are in here. Unless you have some set that can catch those signals and rebroadcast them, you can't take advantage of any of the signals that are in this room. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is here. Angels are here. The power of God is in this place. Plus, He's inside of every born-again person. But you have to have something to take that from spiritual reality into physical reality. And the Holy Spirit is the one that spiritually discerns, explains these things. I can tell you what I've said tonight. 
is absolutely impossible for a natural human being to understand. This is what the disciples, they would question Jesus. Why are you speaking unto them in parables? And he says, because it's given unto you to know the kingdom of God, but unto them it's not given. People that don't know Jesus, that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you cannot perceive things that you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. That's what the Bible calls carnal. The word carnal just means of your five senses. What you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. The word carnal literally comes from a Greek word, carny, and it's where we get chili con carne from. The word carnal, carny, means meat, or specifically the flesh as stripped of skin. Not talking about just your epidermis, but the meat of your body. So when you say you're carnally minded, you're calling somebody a meathead. But you're just talking about, you're just natural-minded. You're just natural. And this is what the vast majority of us are. We are trapped. It's like we have blinders on it. We can't see anything with our little peanut brain that we can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. For you to function in the spiritual realm and find out who you are in Christ and get to where you believe that Jesus has put something on the inside of you that you can't see or feel you are going to have to have the Holy Spirit start quickening this to you. It comes by revelation knowledge. It doesn't come through your head. It comes through your heart. Some of you have been touched tonight and you're feeling hope and encouragement, but it doesn't make sense. And, and if you don't receive the Holy Spirit and let Him encourage you, you will eventually default to your mind and you'll reject the things I've talked about because you only operate by logic. But in your heart, the Holy Spirit's bearing witness with this. The Holy Spirit's jumping up and down and saying, yes, I've been trying to tell them this for decades. <laughs> and some of you are feeling an encouragement in your heart, but you have to let the Holy Spirit quicken these things to you. And so I want to give you an opportunity tonight. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you absolutely must have the Holy Spirit in order to function in what I'm talking about. You can't do this in the natural. A natural person will only go by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You cannot operate in the supernatural faith of God. So you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And I know I've got people from every different background in here, and some of you think, well, that's not true. Speaking in tongues is of the devil. There's some of you that didn't know I'm one of those guys that speaks in tongues because I'm not like the others on television that spits and uh, has a napkin and has to wipe my fevered brow and I don't say glory to God. And so you didn't realize I was one of those that speaks in tongues, but I am. Amen. And you said, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have never come. Well, you're here now and you know what? They will talk about you, so you might as well get something. Amen. There's no point... There's no point going back the same and let them talk about you. You might as well get something. And I'm telling you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And somebody's thinking, do you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? No. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. You can get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> you're going to be car carnal and you'll die of something along the way. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why would you want to? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will just... It'll help you to understand these things. He, it says 
In John chapter 14, when He has come, He will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have spoken unto you. God has spoken unto many of you tonight. But you know what? Without the Holy Spirit, it won't come back to your remembrance. You'll lose this because this is not what you're hearing, even in most churches. And you'll lose this if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues is an important, important part. Speaking in tongues is just like finding a switch. You flip the switch and boy, the motor starts running. It's like turning on the power of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That means you build yourself up spiritually and promote spiritual growth. Once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, if you ever get discouraged, all you have to do is start speaking in tongues and it will build you up and edify you. There is no excuse for you ever being depressed and discouraged again because you've got the power of God on the inside of you. I'm telling you, you need it. And somebody said, well, I got everything when I got saved. Well, I'm not going to sit here and split hairs with you, but in the Bible, they received salvation and Jesus told them, tarry until you receive power from on high. And then they were baptized on the day of Pentecost and they spoke with tongues. There was separate experiences in a number of places in the Bible. For my person, I was born again 10 years before I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And if you don't have this, I'm telling you, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. You need power. Amen? So who in here would just be honest enough to say, you know what, I don't have that, but I'd like to receive it. And would you pray for me? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray with you and help you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.